Welcome to Poetry Spotlight, presented by the Ohio Poetry Association. I am your host, Jeremy Jusek, and with us today is Steve Brightman. Steve is an Ohio native poet and author who lives in Akron. He earned his MA in creative writing from Eastern Kentucky University and is the author of two books, The Circus of His Bones and The Wild Gospel of Careening and Other Sermons from the Rumble Strip, as well as eight chapbooks. A a two-time Pushcart Prize nominee and the winner of the 2001 Ohio Writer Magazine Poem of the Year Award, Steve's work spans a wide range of publications, awards, and anthologies. Steve, thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate the invite. Would you like to get us started with a poem? Oh, sure. Um, the first poem that I'll be reading is titled Adam Releases the Seas. Poison doesn't disappear. Patient, it sits there until every soul is yield. Waits through all of Adam's generations like it was fast forwarding through a commercial break. Long before the Romans carved every face in marble to look only like Romans, a cold-blooded serpent saw safety in the trees. Long before hallelujah ever rolled around, a sound bounced off the canyon walls so hard that seas collapsed into a series of waves that to this day have not stopped. Thank you. Now, in a Poetry Night blurb with the Barberton Library, uh, it mentioned that you had written a poem every day since January 1st, 2010. And that was from 2018. That was a few years ago. So I'm wondering... Did you keep that streak going? And what did that discipline teach you? I, I did keep that streak going, but only to end it on a round number. Um, it, technically, the streak didn't officially start on January 1st, 2010. I had wanted to see if I could write a poem every day. So I, on December 1st of 2009, I kind of pushed myself through December to see if I could do it. Turns out I could. And so on January 1st, I hit the, the counter. I, start, I started counting. And then I wrote a poem every day for 10 years. On December 31st, uh, 2019, at the end of the 10-year mark, I stopped the street. Um, I don't know why I started it. I, it was really just to see if I could. I, and then to see what obstacles would present themselves while I was doing that because life is life. I mean, it gets in the way. So how, how much work can you put into what it is that you wanted to do? And it turns out that I could do it. I proved to myself that I could. And as far as the discipline, it, after about a month, a month or so, maybe two months, um, it really just became a part of my day. I found, I found a time in my schedule where it best fit to do that and so at the end of every day as I was winding down and my brain was kind of going into brownout mode before I sleep before I get into the shower before I brush my teeth I'd sit at the computer and write a poem and the thing that I most needed to teach myself and I appreciate having to have learned this is that not every poem needs to be finished you can walk away from something it doesn't have to be a polished product. It, to me, it was more important to actually create, to, to put something down. Even if it was just a, a, a rehash or a, a re-imaging of something that happened during my day. 
something it could it could have been something completely nondescript my drive into work what what did i notice on my drive into work but the fact that i was shaping it into my voice or using my voice to shape the reimaging was the i guess the thing that i pulled the most out of that out of that street and because the streak ended on december 20th or december 31st 2019 it was right before February 2020, and we, we just went the world when the world, world kind of just shut down. Sure. So it it was it was really hard for me to not, I guess, want to blame myself. Now I know obviously nothing that I did created all of that, but the world went to shit when I stopped my streak. So I was like, well, <laughs> do I need to do I need to start writing again? And I haven't. But but now I have this this arsenal of poems that I've accumulated over over a ten year span. And that's what I used to create the circus of his bones. That's where I was able to go back and find similar themes, similar uh, images, similar uh, similar voices, what have you, and turn them into a compilation. And that's what I did. Yeah. Now, what you had mentioned, you had, you had said in, in your response that, you know, it helped you, it helped processing things into your voice. Do you think that you got more in touch with your voice over this time? Oh, oh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, there were times when, uh, I, I yeah. and it, it, it's almost like a, when you when you talk to some people about writing, a lot of people, a lot of writers like to wait for inspiration or kind of put themselves in a situation where inspiration can strike, where lightning can strike. I had the opposite effect, or I guess writing every day had the opposite effect on me in that it became more like a craft. It became more like a, a like a trade skill um, where, okay, uh, I could, I could change out sink plumbing. Okay. I knew what I needed to do. I needed the tools I need. I need, I knew how much time I needed to do that task. And that's, that's what I was able to do as far as writing that. Um, so it, yeah, it, it wasn't as easy as an on off switch, but it was a matter of knowing or having a greater familiarity with my, my tools and my skill set. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, they say, they say it takes, you know, about 10,000 hours to master something, but it's hard to hit that 10,000 hours if you're waiting for inspiration. (laughs) Right. And and yeah, it absolutely is. And I don't know that I hit 10,000 hours. I did hit like 3,500 poems. So maybe, (laughs) I mean, I don't think I did. I don't think I did three hours per poem, but I, I, a half hour of poem. So I'm, pro- I'm probably a couple thousand hours shy. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's still impressive. What, what, what kept you writing during that time? Was it just that it was automatic or were there times that it got difficult? It, 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 it was difficult, especially like um, when we were traveling, um, traveling presented opportunities. And because I had it as a certain part of my daily schedule, if, I knew that I was going because it was in my it was an evening routine for me. So if I knew that my evenings were going to be um, other spent otherwise, baseball games, movies, concerts, what have you. Um, man, it's nice just thinking about doing all those things. Um, <laughs> but it, but if I did, if I knew I was going to be doing those, then I knew my my evening would be uh, would be spoken for. So I had to find a different part in my day to be able to do that. So I would get up earlier, or I would scribble something, or uh, during my lunch break, or as soon as I got home from work before I made dinner, or what have you. Um, I, I would just approach it that way. Yeah, 
And it must, it must have been hard, Circus of His Bones, releasing that in 2020. Because uh, that came yeah, out it was. October, it, right? Yeah, it was, yeah, it came out October. I started compiling, um, I guess, when everything, when everybody was in full shutdown mode. It was right at the beginning. I wanted to be able to do something. I had a couple of other things that had taken my time, but I wanted to, I guess, take advantage of what I had done. And so I started wading back through my archives and finding that. And then once I started to get it together, then it was a matter of finding somebody that that was would publish it. And Kung Fu Treachery Press um, was a very willing and open recipient to this. So that so that was really beneficial to me um, that that they were as receptive to the idea of this three sets of voices in in one book um because it wasn't that the poems didn't originally start that way I realized as I was gathering them that the voices kind of that, that the poems would fit the voices and once I realized how I wanted to approach setting those up and the voices and the characters that I wanted to speak them, then it be, then it became just a matter of doing the work and uh, turning the poems into specific voices, um, repeating the languages, repeating uh, what I needed to do to to emphasize the the voices and the the characters themselves. Um, and that's one of the things that one of one of my intentions when I started setting this up is I wanted to reimagine because I mean, everybody knows Adam, everybody knows Eve, everybody knows the the snake. I, I wanted to kind of turn that on its ear a little bit. And I guess that that's where it ended up going. <laughs> that, so how did you pick Adam and Eve though? Like, did you, were you writing about Adam and Eve and you're like, ah, here is, here are some stories from the book of Genesis or did you, more no. other poems into it no i didn't i didn't set out with the intention of adam and eve at all um i had written a couple of poems with adam and the 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 series of eve songs there's 12 of them the series of them um was originally one most of my poems are really short in nature and and that's reflected of the of the way that I set about writing them, sitting down at night, because you can't dedicate, if you, unless you want to be up all night, you can't really, you have to learn how to compress what you're doing. So when when I started this, the, it was actually one long poem, which was unusual for me. And it was kind of really influenced by um, seeing Michael Eric Dyson a few years back when he was at the Cleveland Cuyahoga or at the Cuyahoga County Public Library, excuse me, and uh, and seeing him and hearing him talk about his book. And that kind of set something in me. And we had traveled to see the Pope, my wife and I, we, Teresa, uh, she and I had traveled to Philadelphia to see the Pope when he was in uh, the United States in shoot, 2015. So I guess that's about six years ago. And right around that time, I don't know if it was at the same time he was here, um, he had made a minor shift in the language of the our, of our father, um, where um, they had said um, the line of the, uh, the line of the prayer goes uh, and lead us not into temp- lead us not into temptation, 
Um, but he had altered it to say, and let us not be led into temptation, which is a minor tweak, but it's a, a, a major shift in accountability in that we're no longer being led or we're no, we're no longer just active, inactive participants. So oh, and lead us not into temptation says, okay, well, we're at the mercy of something that's dragging us. And this gives us more personal accountability in when, when we say, let us not be led into temptation, then we have to actually account for our own personal actions. And Eve is accounting for her actions here. And Adam is just kind of stumbling his way through the world and hasn't quite grasped that uh, personal accountability yet. Yeah, I, I was actually going to ask you about that because I really wanted to talk about Circus of Bones. I think it's a tremendous book. Um, Adams does seem like he's a passive point of view character. Like, like things are happening to him and he's just embroiled in chaos right. all the time. And so right. what is his role there between, because Eve, Eve is very maternal and she's doing these songs for the children and for, you know, humanity as a whole, whereas Adam has no sense of responsibility right. and he's, you know, doing nonsensical things. So how how do you see Adam and how do you see Eve in the context of the book? Yeah, I, I, I at at the risk of uh, delving too far into simplifying gender dynamics, males. I guess Adam is the, a, a prototypical male or a stereotypical male in that he can just fumble about. And it nothing and doesn't really suffer any consequences for bumbling about. Women maternal with maternal instincts in particular know things that men will never know. We were incapable of knowing what women know, and that was I guess how I present wanted to put. Yeah, I, I amplified his bumbling or his chaos a little bit, um, but that's that's how I wanted to show that is it, it, we're, we're, we've got it lucky. <laughs> now, white, cisgender, white cisgender males have lucky. We can bumble through the world. And, and as long as we don't fuck up, we're not really held to account. Uh, we, we can, we kind of just can go about our day. Women can't women, women are going to know things about, the world that men will never know and most don't even have any interest in knowing do you have do you have a religious background <laughs> no <laughs> i i don't actually i mean i i i went through uh, like i was raised as a catholic and then i had some stuff happened when i was younger and i kind of moved away from the church and i i i i, I moved i sword off I, I i cursed god in in whatever ways i could for as frequently as i could and as long as i could but that didn't really seem to matter i i went 35 36 years in between visits my my last visit and my revisitation over the over the threshold into the church um uh, I, I'm uh, devout now, I guess, uh, uh, an observant Catholic now. Um, but I had to do some real uh, reconciliation on how I got to the point where I wanted to re-enter into the church physically and emotionally. Okay. 
That's interesting. So does this, did this collection have a strong element of your faith or was this collection about other things entirely? I, I, I don't think it has any, a, a strong attachment to my faith personally. Um, obviously it, it does because Adam and Eve and the serpent is the first book of the Bible. Uh, outside of that, I don't think it, it I, I want, I, my aim was to make it universal enough that it, you didn't have to be well-versed in Catholic in Catholicism. You didn't have to be even uh, to know anything about Catholicism at all outside of being able to identify Adam and Eve and serpent and how they relate to each other. Yeah. Uh, and then, cause there's a lot of themes regardless of whatever religion you practice or don't practice. Uh, there's a lot of themes through humanity that transcend religious I, I guess your your religious beliefs uh, that they're they're universal and there is a reason that they're universal. Yeah, and that, that's it's cool that you're talking about this because when I was reading this, this doesn't the book does not feel like celebratory gospel in any sense. Like it really no, doesn't. I'm, <laughs> it, it, I'm not a celebratory gospel kind of guy. I mean, even in church, I, I when we're in church, my wife needs to remind me that we're in church, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and that I need to re- remember where I'm at because I I don't really, I, yeah, I, I I'm not I'm not the most observant guy in the world. We'll put it that way. I I, I do observe. I, I have. Uh, I I think I think I have an understanding or with how I I need to believe in God and I, and it took me a while to come to terms with that. Um, with Eve, because she, you know, you had mentioned her songs and her songs are interesting. Like I went back after I finished it, I went back and just read hers. And I followed hers through. Good, good. That's what I want people to do. Yeah, <laughs> I, I want people to read the voices individually. So I, I'm fast. I'm. Uh, thank you, thank you very much for doing that. Because I, you can, you can read it from beginning to end. But I, I want them people to to see the voices and how this how the poems tie together as each unique voices. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I appreciate you, that you did that. Thank you. No, I'm I'm glad you did cut me off because that that's that's really cool. You did that, and I think. It was done pretty masterfully. I think that it's enticing the way you do it. And I think it's hard to get to the end of the collection and not double back, I think, because you leave a pretty clear roadmap. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I do. And and, and and we're getting wrapped up in, in Adam and Eve, but I also, I, I, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm most proud uh, of any of the voices. I'm most proud of the serpent poems, the, the serpent songs in that, they are a daisy chain. There's six of them, but they're daisy chained together. And that one, they're 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 meant like the Ouroboro, the snake swallowing its tail. That was that was my intention in that. There's one line in each of the six serpent poems that's repeated. Well, the, it, I get tongue-tied when I try to explain this. So uh, bear with me, please. There's a line in the first snake poem that is repeated in the in the second snake poem. And there's a line in the second snake poem that's repeated in the third snake poem, a line in the third snake poem that's repeated in the fourth snake poem, et cetera, all the way through. And then there's a line in the sixth poem, which is repeated in the first poem, but you don't know that unless you've read the sixth one and then pick up back with the first one. And it was it would it was intentional that that they're circular like that. And so that that took a, a little finagling, but I was able I was able to 
get it to a point where I was comfortable and or happy with how they daisy chained together. That's it, that's that's neat. I really like that. Um, this is kind of I don't want to get us too off track. But did you ever read La Ronde? It, it's a play. I have not. Arthur Schnitzel. Schnitzler. Um, La Ronde is a play where it's about it, it's analyzing um, seduction and interactions between people of different classes, and so it's a whole bunch of romantic encounters where. It's like a prostitute sleeps with a soldier and then the sol- a soldier sleeps with like a countess or something. And then she sleeps and it keeps going up until you get to the top of like the height of class. Mm-hmm. And then the very final scene is like a Duke or something who then hooks up with the prostitute who hires the <laughs> prostitute. So it was, so it was <laughs> the circular as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's cool. Um, so check that play out. with, with the with the serpent, um, how does he fit in then? How does because um, he introduces multiple of Adam's births? I think the second, right. third birth, yeah. Yeah, um, all of them actually, all, all of them are uh, all of them are the births of Adam, and that had sprung forth as um, so, uh, an, another theme or a repeated image from the 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 backlog or the log of poems that I had done over that 10 year period in that um, one of the things I, one of the, I guess, one of the themes that kept occurring in, in, in my head and in, in the, in the poems were that we all have a physical sense of birth. We all know where we're born, um, the city we were born, the county we were born, the hospital, what have you. Um, but that isn't the, the last time that we're born and not in a rebirth, not in a, oh, I've been reborn kind of way, more in a, we experience uh, things in our life uh, that that happen that we don't know when they're happening, that they're setting us on another trajectory um, for, for an image. Okay. You know, um, there's the whole Armageddon thing where they, they have to put the nuke in the, they have to put the nuclear missile in the asteroid and try and send it off in another direction that I guess that's kind of the, what, what I'm going for with this in that when we're born, we're, we, we're set on a path we're, we're walking through, we're going, and then something happens. Could be something tragic, could be something completely, uh, uh, not inappropriate i'm i'm drawing a blank on the word i'm looking for but it but it could be just something minuscule uh, but we don't and we don't acknowledge that that's at the time because we see it as minuscule but then if we're reflecting on our lives over the last five years over the last 10 years well oh well, this is a decision i made where it set me on another path where okay i've, I've been reborn as this version of myself and that that's what the serpent was doing as an omniscient narrator i guess trying to say okay well this is where adam was born here's the path that he took from that point forward from this point forward and then when he when the serpent reemerges, to say okay well here's how adam was born here's another time when adam was born again not physically born but set on a new trajectory this is this is the series of things and series of misadventures, if you will, um, that, that happen until the time where he gets born again. And sometimes he sometimes Adam is a, 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 
a willing participant in his in his births and sometimes he doesn't even know that he's reborn and needs the serpent to tell us or tell him that okay well here here's another version of yourself that you didn't even know was occurring yeah okay i, I thought it, i thought it was interesting that the serpent was heralding these rebirths because it's it seems to if you're going to have a rebirth and it's not finding Jesus, like not finding Christ. Right. right, then right. It's an inherently satanical rebirth because it's not the rebirth you're supposed to have, I guess, using air quotes on that. <laughs> right. So I thought that that was kind of neat. Um, did you, is this, is the serpent, is, the, is it supposed to have the set satanical slant to it or are you that supposed no, to not be read? That? It's, it's not supposed to have a satanical slant more than any more than it's supposed to have a, uh, a, uh, uh, a Christ, a Christ-like, or a Christ, a Christ uh, stance. I, I, I guess even though it's it's extracted from the Catholic text, I don't know that there was the intention of being satanic or really, uh, uh, I guess. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't think it was intended to be. Okay. <laughs> Talk myself into a wall. Sorry. Feel free to edit any of that. <laughs> oh no, that's fine. I mean, the answer can be no. <laughs> that's totally cool. <laughs> I, when you're putting the next collection together, um, I guess I, how many, how different were all the poems? How different did they feel before you put them into? the collection and then started instilling, you know, it was really overwhelming because uh, they, they, they all, they all felt different, but they all started to feel the same too. So what I, <laughs> I, I, I cheated, like I, I cheated really badly. I used when I, if there was a, a word or an image that jumped out at me, um, I had them all saved on my computer. So I would do, I would do a word search and see what poems, I had used that word in and, and, and kind of open and have all of the ones that, that had that particular word in it. And then, okay. And, and then start to see the similarities in them. Sometimes I would stitch the poems together if I needed to. And sometimes I would set them a, a, as a series, um, a couple different, but outside of just this collection, um, there was a series of poems that I wrote. I don't know if you're familiar with guided by voices or not, um uh, they're a band from Dayton Ohio um a lot of the poems I had written um that kind of reminded me of of the voice of the lead singer uh Robert Pollard uh and so I so I, I so I threw all those together into a collection and, and then um well yeah and then the poems kind of started surfacing on here and that's where I was like okay maybe I have a bigger task ahead of me and started doing the Adam and Eve poems. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm not going to lie. 3,500 poems. That sounds daunting to, to organize and sift it, through. And... Yeah. I still haven't done it. I, <laughs> I, 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 outside, outside of having them, the date and the names of the poems and the poems that I extracted for this and the, the, the collection that I just spoke of, um, they're still sitting there. I, I really haven't done much with them and I know that I will need to, but it's, it's a lot. I, I, I didn't I didn't realize as I was doing it that I would have this much to go through and that it would require this much work to 
to find what I did. I just thought I would just somehow magically be like, oh, here's a collection. Oh, here's a collection. Oh, here's a collection. And then I could, and, and every poem would be magically accounted for somehow. <laughs> and it, 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 it's not even close to that. It, it's, it's more, to me, it's, and it's probably because I haven't put as many hours into organizing and collating these poems as I did to writing them so it, it's not as easy it, it's much harder work organizing them than writing them yeah I can, I can totally imagine that I mean I think I uh the last two years I participated in the April writing you know poem oh, right you know and every year I get a, a good good number of poems out of it and I submit them and all that but even 30 <laughs> it's kind of a lot you know it is it really is. And, 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 and I respect the hell out of you for doing it because when you're staring at it and you're, and you're not familiar with it and, you, and all your fingers and your brain kind of feel like they're not working to the way that you want them to work, it can be really intimidating. It can be a big wall to, to try to scale. And I respect anybody that, that puts that effort in. It, it's hard. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I made myself a, a daily creative you know, slot, you know, 20 minutes a day, I, I'm sitting and doing, you know, creative writing of some kind, but I, I, some days I'll just edit. Some days I will just sift for ideas and jot down notes. Some days I'll write a story instead of a poem or right. whatever. And that kind of freedom makes it possible. I can't imagine a poem a day <laughs> for 10 years. It's nuts. <laughs> <coughs> it, it, yeah. And it, I, I was lucky in that, uh, the the people that uh, that I surrounded myself with and the people that I'm surrounded by were willing to accommodate my my eagerness and my willingness and desire to do so because a lot of times I would have to step out from things and say okay well I I need to cut out early I have I didn't write a poem yet today I need to get going and they'd be like okay well we understand you're in the middle of your street we don't know when it's going to end and then they would just let me go. So I, so I was lucky to do that. Or like I said, when, if, if Teresa and I were traveling, I would have my laptop with me and we'd, we'd have to hunt for Wi-Fi, and I'd have to crank something out really fast, or I could just save it on my computer and then upload it the next day. Cause I was using it in the notes in the Facebook actually uh, in the notes function on Facebook. So, I, so people could follow along if they had wanted to do so. And uh, and that was part of part of my desire to keep the street going too. Is that it, when I started it, it was it was as a lark, um, but it was very it was a very public facing lark. And I didn't have I don't I didn't have and don't have a, a lot of followers, but the ones that I do have that were invested in my writing and in wanting to read uh, what I had written. I, I felt an obligation to them, even, even if they're never like, oh, we need our poem or anything like that. I still didn't want to not, I didn't want that day to be the day that I didn't do it. Nice. So when I realized towards the end that, that I was going to be doing it, I made sure that I announced that to whoever was still paying attention after 10 years <laughs> that, that, okay, this is happening. I'm, I'm, I'm pulling the plug on this. It's been a good run. I've, I've, done way more than I thought I could or ever would so uh, it's time it's time to breathe and go somewhere else I guess and do something else sure okay where, where do you where do you draw your inspirations from 
I, I, everything. I mean, what happened to me during the day, the news, conversations I had, the, 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 the birds in the, and the squirrels in my yard, um, anything really, uh, it, it, because I, I, I was writing every day. I, things would jump out at me. I, I would, I would, have, I would look back and say, okay, this is, this is what my poem is going to be about today. Sometimes it would be a, about a car I saw at the on the side of the road and whether or not somebody was in it or whether it looked like somebody was in it. Why would somebody still be in the car and or what have you? Um, yeah. But could be a lot of times it was from baseball games, as things that were happening, watching the crowd at baseball games. I'm, I don't go to many games the last two years or haven't gone to many two games the last two years, but I go I go to my share. And when I go to, a, a, to them... I, I go early. I, I go like as soon as the gates open, not because, oh my gosh, I have to see the base, but it, the way that the, the way that the stadium kind of breathes to life, you get to see people experiencing joy or experiencing, uh, I guess, a, a, a removal of themselves from their everyday worries and see them behave how, how they wouldn't necessarily behave if they were at work or if they were around their families or just just to see people and to talk to people that I didn't know uh, my wife she laughs at me Teresa laughs at me when we uh when we go to baseball games because she's like you don't even know that guy and you're now you're best friends with him now why why do you just talk to strangers I'm like why do you not <laughs> you <know? laughs> I mean because because you're at a baseball game you were all watching the same thing there's 30,000 people facing the same direction why wouldn't you want to build that sense of community and find, you don't you don't have to know their lives you don't have to that you go there to get away from that but you go there to to talk and celebrate and i uh, find things you have in common so that those were big inspirations for me when i was writing by finding what we all had in common finding what i had in common with people that i uh, through through happen chance happenstance happened to be sitting next to at the, at the at a baseball game would you would you say that's a theme in in your life is is making those connections and trying to find common ground? Yeah, I, I would I would say that. Um, I, it's funny because I it's that's not always been my position. I, I've about the same time that I funnily enough with about the time, same time that I moved away from the church, I really became antisocial, and I was very proud of my antisocialness. I was at the concerts, and I was a punk rock, and I was a dirty punk rock kid, and I was grunge, and I was everything else. And, it, and any chance I got to be antisocial or to push people the 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 way that they were thinking or the way that they were viewing me, any chance I got to do that, I I, I wanted to, and I actively engaged in doing that. My, I had my face pierced when in when I was in grad school, I had multiple earrings, m multiple different hair colors, tattoos, and anything I could do to, to keep people at arm's length. If, if I, if they needed a reason to stay at arm's length, I gave it to them. Uh, and, and I'm no longer interested in that. <laughs> that, 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 that doesn't, I'm, I'm more interested now in finding what I have in common with somebody. I don't necessarily want them to be a part of my lives. <laughs> I, I'm, just, I'm still keeping that I'm ar at arm's length. I'm just <laughs> no longer doing it actively. I, 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 I'm, I guess I'm shortening my, I guess my, my arm, my, I'm bending at the elbow, if you will. Okay. Yeah. 
And and it's interesting you said you came back to the church because you also came back to Akron. You I did. Well, I came back to Ohio. Uh, I, did, I had never lived in Akron prior to this, but uh, Ohio's weird. I, I, <laughs> if you're in Ohio, and obviously if you're listening to this in the OPA, you, you, you understand what I'm saying. If you've ever lived away from Ohio, and it's weird because I, I literally just had this conversation today with, with one of my customers in that if you move away from Ohio, and and people do it all the time. But if you move back to Ohio, you're doing it by choice. Yeah, and, That's and true. <laughs> you're, cho- you're choosing Ohio rather than just defending it. Um, I guess instinctively or or just reflexively is the word. I was you're you're not just defending. You're not just defending Ohio. Or you're not choosing Ohio de- reflexively. You're you're like okay, well, this is mine. Blah 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 blah. And you've never been away, so you don't know what's yours or not. You just don't know anything else. So you 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 naturally your natural instinct is to protect it or or fight for it. Um, but if you move away and you come back, then you're actively choosing it. You're saying okay, this is this is where I want to be. Well, and the I've moved away from Ohio six times and moved back six times. Oh. And I, I, when I, when I moved away, I didn't move away with the intention of staying away. I just moved away because I, at, at the time, my, my rebirth, if you will, I, I needed to be on that trajectory. Once was to join the Navy. Once was, uh, once that was out of my control because I was in the third grade and my parents moved away. Um, once was when I went to graduate school down in Kentucky. Once was when I moved to Illinois. They, it's just the decisions that you make where you're at a point in your life where like, okay, well, I'm not, I'm not getting what I need from my life. So it must be Ohio's fault that I'm not getting what I need. And then you realize when you, when you're in, when you have a different geography, but the same situation that it's not Ohio's fault, it's your own damn fault. So you might as well move back where you where you're closer to your family or you're closer to the things that you know. So you're choosing, okay, this is where I want to be. This is how I want to be. And then, Eventually, you're. You eventually, I ended up in Akron after I Teresa and I got married. Does Does Adam's rebirths mirror your own? Not consciously. I I don't think that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess they don't consciously. <laughs> I they don't consciously, but now that I'm thinking, I'm sitting there. I didn't do it intentionally, but I can't. I can't really deny that 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 there that there that there's a. a, a pretty strong parallel between them okay and part of that i think part of that is because when i was writing for the for the 10 years um a lot of the times when i was writing obviously i leaned heavily on a a first person narrative uh so i i and the things were told from my perspective and then when I shifted him from Adam's perspective, there's a lot and a lot of the dumb choices and a lot of the bouncing around at the mercy of the of the galaxy, if you will, um, is the same, I guess, the same, the same way that I had navigated the world <laughs> in that I, sometimes sometimes I would make a decision, sometimes a, deci- a decision would be made and I just kind of bounce off of whatever. And yeah, so no, they weren't conscious, but yes, they're very close parallels. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> and for my fi- for my final question, I want to ask you: What is your earliest memory of poetry? 
Dr. Seuss, probably. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Dr. Seuss. Uh, and then I, because I, I didn't really do anything from after Dr. Seuss. I mean, the rhyming and the, and the, the, the word play and the way that words play. And then the, it was kind of a, a, a I guess, a, a coagulation the, the, where things, I would read things, but there was nothing really poem. Everything just kind of, just kind of, kind of got together in me. And then when I was, yeah, when I was high schoolish, uh, I started listening to REM and Michael Stipe sang and wrote in a way that I hadn't really ever heard someone write or put words together. So that kind of pushed me in a, in a direction to want to learn to read and write in a way that I hadn't. Then, so that that I guess he was a pretty big influence on on my initiation into poetry if you will that's awesome I, I think i think having children exposed to poetry at a young age is very important because even if they don't get interested in poetry they see that language serves a greater purpose than just delivering information oh absolutely absolutely yeah i i i think that it's wonderful and when i see kids get excited about poems and poetry and just writing in general or being able to express themselves in a way that they hadn't or didn't know that they could even 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 if they're you know what especially when they're the shyest about it and because when when they're the shyest about it that's when it's the most honest because they feel like they have to hide something or that they that that they, that they've touched on something that they didn't know that they could so it's all new and kind of like open woundish yeah <laughs> sure sure all right well uh would you like to read before we sign off oh yeah yeah if you don't mind uh, and i would like to actually kind of work through because we had paid so much time uh, time and attention to the Eve songs, I, I would like to read those as one poem. Please. Uh, even, though, even though they're 12 songs. Um, <laughs> song one. Daughters and sons, the voice of your mother was the first voice you knew. Summer turning into fall is the beta version of your bones decaying. Dress for the occasion. Leaves are shiny on one side and the other side is built for thirst. Tomorrow may be the last full day without another headstone in your life. Take full advantage of easy breathing and your soft, comfortable middle, absent any hunger pains. Desire can rot you from the inside out, and you will not see any bruising until after it is well too late. Song two. Daughters and sons, keep both eyes open for intersections. See them for what they are. Yellow lights are a caution only while you are driving. The sun is a yellow dwarf while you are sitting here breathing, and some dead folks are dead folks because someone couldn't see anything but red. Song three, daughters and sons, the shelf life of magic decreases exponentially in sunlight. Do not fall in love with the iron and electricity in your own blood. Science is reckless with the human heart. Math too has abandoned anything resembling organs or bones. Your spine can keep you upright only until you notice it's doing, only until you notice that it is doing so. <laughs> Song four, daughters and sons, the sun and the air are liars. Warm is as much a religion as an insurgency is. Hastily scribbled on the nearest piece of anything which resembles a flat surface. This does not make anger a house of worship. 
your body is a temple, your neighbor's body is a temple too. Song five, daughters and sons, say your hellos, goodbyes to each other. Remind yourselves that the desert is a desert for a reason. There's no, re there's no need to walk through it just because it is there. Remind yourselves that the ocean is an ocean for a reason. Don't expect your friends to meet you every time you come up for air. Some days you have to swim for your lives and it's hard damn work remembering which body of blue is sky and which is water. <laughs> Song six, daughters and sons, don't confuse your medicine with your healing. Your skin doesn't have to be a small cacophony of demons. Expose yourself to natural light and remember that the mythology behind everything probably came from the voice of a man who was angry at the gods because his power was not as vast as he had hoped. Song seven, daughters and sons, do not be a friend of the dollar sign. Do not either make it an enemy. Know that it can be both a bludgeon and a scalpel, depending only on who it is that's doing the wielding. Remember every maiden name on your mother's side. Remember how your father died. Song eight, daughters and sons, civilized life has made progress. We no longer believe that we lose fundamental pieces of our wretched souls simply from having our photograph taken. We are now owned by phones, which unlock upon our eager garish faces. Yours has never been a world without electronics, without GPS, without camera lenses pointing at you and from you. Having never not known this captivity, excavation is gray, but necessary. You are the only ones who can dig yourselves out from underneath bones you will never know. Song nine. Daughters and sons, regardless of your religion, sin at its core is an overwhelming failure to love the closest human to you. The closest skin to you is not the only skin in the game. Love the next one too, and one after that. Song 10. Daughters and sons, there are very few things in the world more troubling than extended silences. You should not let yourself become one. Your heart is as big as you need it to be. Remember how your skin zippers against the skin of your lover, closes dark space between you, turns it into almost light. Song 11, daughters and sons, cloud circles of crows will appear without notice sometimes. Show an applicable degree of awe, even though this black mass will never know who you are. The face of God is not and never will be kaleidoscope or white cotton beard. Song 12, Daughters and sons, glass can be as sharp as a knife, but it was sand or stone once. Once upon a time is no way to be 20 one day and 50 the next. 1995 is a quarter century rear viewed already. Ocean has never once in that time stopped pulverizing a jagged shore. Thank you. No, thank you. Greatly appreciate it. It's, it's a delightful collection. I really enjoyed reading it. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, um, this has been Poetry Spotlight, a production of the Ohio Poetry Association. Please follow the OPA on Twitter at Ohio Poetry and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Ohio Poetry. A transcript of this episode can be found on the OPA blog. Visit ohiopoetryassociation.org for more information. And Steve, thank you so much for joining. Thank you again for having me. I appreciate it. Really enjoyed myself. <laughs> Same. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>